we would invite you to take out your Bibles right now and turn in them in the back of the New Testament to the book of First John and chapter number 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, you could grab one from the seat in front of you, turn in the back of that to page 185, and you would be at 1 John 2. We were just singing a, a great song with great lyrics. When I hear the story of a God of mercy who shared humanity and suffered by our side, of the cross they nailed you to that could not hold you, what can I do but thank you? What can I do but give my life to you? What can I do but praise you? Every day make everything I do a hallelujah. You know, I've shared with you before that that word hallelujah is one that we say a lot, but sometimes we become disconnected with the actual meaning of the word. The word hallelujah is really a combination of two words from Hebrew. The first is the word hallel, which really means to boast in, and then the second word is the word Yahweh, the special title given to a God of relationship with human beings in the Old Testament. So literally, hallelujah means to boast, to brag in Yahweh. And that's really what we plan to do today as we have come to Communion Sunday at Wildwood Community Church. Now, one of the things that maybe is a little different if you're new to Wildwood is the way that we do communion. Now, we encourage communion to happen more than just on Sunday morning. We encourage our Adele Fellowship groups and our small groups to partake in communion. But our practice generally is on the fifth Sunday of a month to set aside the entire service to build around partaking of the Lord's table together. Doesn't mean there aren't other appropriate ways to do it, but we think it's so special that we really want to focus on it and to be able to pour ourselves around that whole theme of communion, which is what we're doing today. Because actually, communion is the greatest celebration on earth. You know, we all love the, the event when it happens when OU can win a national championship in football. And there's a great celebration that happens there. But the greatest celebration on the planet Earth is the celebration of communion and the Lord's table together. And Jesus understood that, and, and Jesus is the one who instituted the practice of communion and the practice of observing the Lord's table. And there are actually several reasons why I think he did that. One of the reasons why he said he wanted us, as often as we did it, to proclaim the Lord's death one of the reasons why is that we need it. You need it, and I need it. You know, James in his third chapter said that we all stumble in many ways. So true. If someone were to, to track me through the week, or to track you through the week, they could document how true it is that we all stumble in many ways. And aren't you just grateful that 
that our ways and our tendency to stumble just isn't being broadcast on a big screen? Aren't you just glad of that? You know, when I think about my own week and, and the failures that I've had, the stumblings that I've had, I'm just so glad we're not having them all broadcast this morning. And I'm sure you feel the same way. But here's the reality, though, men and women. We all stumble in many ways. The reality is, though, that as a child of God, when we do that, the Spirit of God is grieved. The Spirit of God actually senses pain when we stumble. And therefore, communion provides us with wonderful opportunity to do several things. It provides us with an opportunity to remember. This is a great opportunity for us to remember the cross that Christ climbed onto for you and for me. It's a great opportunity for us not only to remember but to repent where there is a change of mind that we make that leads to a change of action in our life. It's a great opportunity to remember and to repent and to refresh our relationship with the living Savior. And I have need of that, and you have need of that also. Communion is a great opportunity for some confession in our life where we will agree with God about certain things that are happening in our life. It's a great opportunity for there to be some course correction where we say, you know what, I really do need to make an adjustment in my life. And it's a great opportunity for fresh cleansing that comes to us from the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice a verse in 1 John 2. It's, it's a verse of great joy. It's one of the most delightful verses in the New Testament. And it's found in chapter 2 and verse 1, where the Apostle John is writing to us, and he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You see, that's our goal on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. That's the goal that we aim for as a child of God who knows Jesus Christ personally, who's been adopted into the family of God. The goal that we aim for is that we may not sin. But it's so good, of course, that the verse goes on and it says, and if anyone sins, and we all stumble in, in many ways, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is legal terminology. We have someone who's actually standing up before the God of the universe, the Father Himself, who represents us before a holy God. And that advocate, that representative, is Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is there for when we stumble in the many ways that we tend to stumble. And if you'll back up just two verses in 1 John, that's why we have a need of this. It says, if we confess our sins, if we agree with God concerning them, then indeed, Lord, that was a stumbling, that He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. Aren't those beautiful words? I'm writing that you may not sin, but if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Lord's table is really all about. Now, I want you to keep your finger in 1 John 2 and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be back in 1 John 2 in just a few moments. But in particular, it's, 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 I think, instructive of us to go back to 1 Corinthians 11 because we have the longest portion in all of the New Testament letters that addresses the issue of the Lord's table and communion. And we can learn something from this. And as Paul was instructing the believers at Corinth regarding the Lord's table, he wrote these words, For I received from the Lord, verse 23, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What is really interesting to me is he lays that all out for that particular church. He goes on to make a statement in the next verse that is, I think, worthy of our attention. He talks about the potentiality that a believer in Jesus Christ could eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. So as we momentarily anticipate coming to the Lord's table, we must realize that is a possibility for me and a possibility for you that we would eat of the bread and drink of the cup in an unworthy manner. What does that really mean? I think it means with unchecked, unconfessed attitudes and actions in our life. So that's why it's important for us and why we need the Lord's table provides us with an opportunity. Now, now, how do we deal with this potentiality that we could be approaching the Lord's table in an unworthy manner with unchecked and unconfessed attitudes and actions? What should we do in light of that? Well, he tells us in the next verse, verse 28, but let a man, let a person, let a woman examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and to drink of the cup. In order to avoid partaking of the elements of communion in an unworthy manner, we are to examine ourselves, it says. The word in the original is dokimazo. Dokimazo is D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O. And the word dokimazo means this. It means to put yourself to the test for the purpose of drawing a conclusion. 
And so it is very important because of the potentiality of eating of the table in an unworthy manner that we, dokimazo, put ourselves to the test for the purpose of drawing a conclusion. Is there something in my life that needs to be addressed? We all stumble in many ways. The encouraging thing is that no matter how we may stumble, (laughs) the solution is the same. The solution is the provision of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so what I would have us to do today is to consider this idea of examining ourselves, dakimadzo, to put ourselves to the test for the purpose of drawing a conclusion. And could there be anything that we need to deal with before we come to the table. Now, you might say, well, how do you do that? How do you examine yourself? And, and I want us to go back to 1 John chapter 2. And as an aid to examining ourselves, I want us to look at chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Notice verse 15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. Now in particular, as we talk about examining ourselves and putting ourselves to the test in order to basically draw a conclusion about our life, I think we have a little bit of a grid work given to us here in verse 16. What you have in verse 16 are the three categories of temptation. There are only three categories that the New Testament gives us of temptation, and those three categories are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you were with us when we did our series on spiritual counterintelligence, we pointed out that there are these three categories, and what is interesting is that when Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, he approached him with three temptations that represented these three categories. And when you are being tempted, you will be tempted in one of these three categories. So these three categories become a grid that we can use to examine ourselves before we come to the Lord's table. Now here's what's important to understand. I mean, we all wrestle with all three of these areas of temptation. It's not like, well, there's only one that I ever have to deal with. Just like Jesus was faced with all three, so you are faced with all three as I am also. So we all wrestle with all three of them. But here's what's interesting. There tends to be, though, one category to which we are most vulnerable. And and what we want you to be thinking about as we unpack these three categories a little bit is, which one am I most vulnerable to? It may be what you're most vulnerable to just generally in your life. It may be what you've been most vulnerable to this week or this month. 
It may be a specific era of your life where you go, that's where I struggle right now in my life. So we want to look at these three categories. Just to remind you, the lust of the flesh deals with our sinful tendency to gratify our senses. The lust of the eyes deals with our sinful tendency to covet money and stuff. And the pride of life deals with our sinful tendency to elevate ourselves. So we're going to use these three categories as a grid to help us to examine ourselves before we come to communion. That is our aim, to examine ourselves, to put ourselves to the test, to draw a conclusion. And then having done that, then we will eat the bread and drink the cup. So our goal, men and women, this morning that I'm challenging us with is that we would be like King David. As he wrote at the end of Psalm 139, and he said this to God, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me, O God, know my thoughts. And then he said this, point out anything in me, God, that offends you. How long has it been since you just slowed down from the hurried pace of life and said to the living God, will you search me and know my heart? Will you, will you test me and know my thoughts? And God, would you, would you point out anything in me that offends you? Men and women, that's a spiritually healthy thing for us to do periodically. And what it may mean is there are some great needs for some confession today before we partake in the Lord's table. It may mean that there is some significant life correction that God is calling us to today. But even if there is a need for confession and correction, even if we have stumbled in many ways, the, the solution is found in the sufficiency of what Christ has done for us and the sufficiency that he provides. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to actually walk our way through those three categories in a little more depth. And I'm just going to put a little bit more flesh to those ideas, those concepts. And what I want you to be doing as we work through there is to say which one of these categories leaps out the most to me right now in my life? Which is the one I tend to be most vulnerable to? And we're going to see in each case there's a sufficiency that Christ provides to us. So let's take the first category, the sinful tendency to gratify our senses. This deals with chasing sensual gratification 
in our life, and it takes all kinds of forms. Overeating would be one example of a tendency, a sinful tendency to gratify our senses. Substance abuse, where we're using substances to get ourselves high, would be an example of a sinful tendency to gratify our senses. Sensuality. Sensuality in terms of what we watch and what we may read is an example of a sinful tendency to gratify our senses. Pornography would be an example of a sinful tendency to gratify our senses. Being sexually active outside of marriage is an example of a sinful tendency to gratify our senses. What's really interesting about all temptation is it's looking outside of Christ for something that we actually have provided for us in Christ. And when we talk about the sinful tendency to gratify our senses, we want to look at the sufficiency that Christ provides. In particular, we're going to look at a verse that emphasizes that. In this case, we want to look at John 4.14, where Jesus said this. He said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. The water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. See, why are we looking to sinfully have our senses gratified elsewhere when that provision has been made for us in the person of Christ? Drink of the water that I give and you'll never thirst. The water I give will become in you a well of water springing up to eternal life. That's the first category. And we see that we don't need to go outside of what Christ has provided in order to gratify our senses. Second category. And again, I want you to be thinking about what one just leaps out at me because we're all, we all struggle with all of these, but which one leaps out right now at you? Second category is the sinful tendency to covet money and stuff. We know we're moving in that direction when we start bending rules so that it benefits us financially. Maybe we're fudging on reports or fudging on our taxes. Or we find ourselves stealing supplies from work. Or maybe pirating software. Those would be examples of a sinful tendency to covet money and stuff. Being consumed by gambling is an example of a sinful tendency to covet money and stuff. Being deep in credit card debt is an example of a sinful tendency to covet money and stuff. Giving less money to the kingdom of God than we know that we should based on what our income is is an example of a sinful tendency to covet money 
and stuff. Just, just selling out to materialism, which can take all kinds of forms, even how we work and how long we work can be examples of a sinful tendency to covet money and stuff. And it's so interesting to, to contrast that tendency with the sufficiency that Christ provides to us. And a, and a verse that illustrates that in this category is 2 Peter 1.3, where it says that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. See, that's the provision of Christ. Everything pertaining to life and godliness has already been granted to us through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and His excellence, and yet we often will have this sinful tendency to covet money and stuff like we really needed more than He provides to us. So which one, which category seems to jump out more as the one that you struggle with? third category is a sinful tendency to elevate self. Greatest example I can give for that is just the, the P word, pride. Finding ourselves pursuing after prestige is an example of a sinful tendency to elevate self. Why do I want prestige? I want people to think more highly of me. Pursuing after popularity. Why do I want to be popular? I want people to think more highly of me. I want to elevate myself. Pursuing and chasing after power. Why does someone really want power? Ultimately, to elevate themselves. Another example of a sinful tendency to elevate ourself is presumption. I want to run my own life. You know, where we wouldn't say it out audibly, but we're really saying to God, just back off, Jack. Let me make my decisions. I want to run my own life. I want to do this my way. It's an example of a sinful tendency to elevate self. I think eating disorders would fit into this as an example. There's a lot of factors that go into eating disorders, but just behind all of that ultimately is a sinful tendency to elevate self. Just showing off, you know. I want to impress other people about how cool I am or how funny I am can be an example of a sinful tendency to elevate self. How about this one as an example? Being a very controlling parent is an example of a sinful tendency to elevate self. Why do I want to be so controlling? Why do I want to be complete? Well, the reason why is because it's going to elevate me. People, it's a reflection on me. I want everyone to be impressed with me. So I'm going to control, control, control. Yet, the sufficiency of Christ has provided all that we really need. A verse that illustrates this is Ephesians 2, verses 5 to 7, where it says, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
Why do I have to have a sinful tendency to elevate myself when the reality is that I've been made alive together with Christ, seated in the heavenly places, so that in the ages to come, he's going to show the surpassing richness of his grace and the kindness that he extended towards us. We need to examine ourselves, put ourselves to the test, and drawing conclusion about that. So we've laid out for you those three categories. Which one is the one that you're most vulnerable in right now? Which is the one that you struggle in? Which is maybe the one that you violate the most right now? Now, in just a few moments, we're going to partake of communion together, and I want to let you know how we're going to do that today. We do it in different ways at Wildwood. First thing I want to emphasize is that at Wildwood, we practice what we call open communion. That means you do not have to be a member here to partake of communion, but we do believe that communion is designed for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you happen to be here today and you don't yet have that relationship, we would hope that you would do that, but we might encourage you just to sit today and to observe what's going to happen. But the whole idea here is that we would examine ourselves to find where we are most vulnerable, and the whole idea here is to say to God, God, search and know my heart, test me, know my thoughts, and point out anything in me that offends you. And as we anticipate partaking in the elements, there is opportunity that God is giving to you and to me for confession. There is opportunity he's giving to us for course correction. There is opportunity that he is giving to us for fresh cleansing. And I hope you'll take advantage of this. You know, life, men and women, it just goes by in a flash. We're scurrying here. We're scurrying there. We always have 67 other things. A lot of times we don't take time to pause and commune with God. To really say, go ahead. Search me and test me. Now, here's what we're going to do. We have back there three stations that are built around these three categories of sinful tendency. And we want to encourage you. We could all go to all three tables, but we want you to encourage you to take the elements from the table that you think is the area that you're, you're most kneeling, needing to deal with in your life. And what we're going to do is we're going to actually do this by sections. And in a moment I'm going to pray and, and I will dismiss this section and you will go back to get your elements. Then we want you to take the bread and the cup back to your seat. And that's where you can do a little bit of business with the Heavenly Father. And then we're going to have Richard, he'll dismiss this section over here. You can look for Richard's signal. And then he will dismiss the, the last half of the center section. And then lastly, the first half of the center section. Just so we're not all back there at the same time. Okay? So you will go back. Get your tables maybe from the area that you feel is the most vulnerable area. Go back and spend some time communing with the Lord Jesus.
and then partake of the elements when you are ready to partake of the elements. So let's just pray together. Father, we thank you again for these times, these moments where we can examine ourselves, where we can come back to the table where we need to be for fresh cleansing. We thank you for that. We're so grateful for Jesus Christ and all that he's done. And may our our moments together that we spend, even in, in some quiet together, be the richest moments of our week. And we pray for the Spirit of God to to be working on each one of us, on the interior, on our heart. Protect us from being hard-hearted, we pray. But Father, what a joy it is to think about partaking of the bread. Jesus said, as he gave thanks for it, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat it. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Take and drink it. And as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you for being here with us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.